he's such a good, good father, and it's incredible the lengths that he'll go to bring us into relationship with him, isn't it? It's really amazing. And it's really reckless love to love someone who doesn't love you back, to love someone who's indifferent to you, to love someone who's in maybe all-out rebellion to you. And uh, yet that's the love of the Father. Oh, they did it to me again. I have to blow my nose. <laughs> all right, talk amongst yourselves. No, really, you have, to, you have to cover up the sound of this. <laughs> Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. <laughs> You're welcome. Grade six to eight are, are zooming on out. I think it's the last time in the year where uh, our Hillcrest teens is, is meeting out. So they'll be in through the summer. But have a great time, guys. I hope you had a chance either to, or either you had a chance or you have a plan to honor your father today if you, if you have connection with your father some of you, you're, you don't have connection with your father. Some of you, your father's passed on. I'm in that camp. So today, my role as a son is to thank God for my father, and I've been doing that even in the worship time this morning and, and earlier. Uh, so it's a day to practice gratitude for your earthly father, and also because you're here at church, it's a good uh, redirect towards our heavenly father as well. Um, let me just... We've been, this is actually our last week in a long series. We've been going through the book of James, and we've been asking ourselves, what does it look like to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it look like for the servant to become like the master? Jesus is, is, is the one that we follow. And what is it like to become like him? And today, uh, we're going to look at the area of prayer and James teaching on, on prayer. Remember, James was the younger brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus, and later, because of the resurrection, uh, we believe that's what caused him to believe in Jesus. So let's read James uh, chapter 5, and it's verse 13 to 18. So if you've got a Bible, or it's on your phone, or if you've, you can grab that one in the bench. If you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take the one in the bench home as a gift from us. We'd love for you to have a Bible that you can read on your own. All right, so James 5, 13 to 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Well, I want to quickly just uh, dive into... So this is a little bit of a description of, of um, instructions for how early followers of Jesus in that first, you know, generation of those followers of Jesus for how they should uh, utilize prayer in their, in their lives. 
And you'll see that there's three basic commands in here about prayer. Uh, and the first, I'm just going to walk you through them quickly. There's something I want to branch off onto at the end, but I'll walk through, through these as quickly as I can here. The first one is that you, if, if you're in trouble, you should pray. Then it goes on to say, if you're happy, you should sing songs of praise. Let me just stop with those ones. If you're in trouble, you should, you should pray. And if you're happy, you should sing songs of praise. I would just sum this up to say, you should include God in your life. You should include God in your life. Your life is full of troubled moments and happy moments. If your life is like everyone else's, right? You've got you know, good times and you've got bad times. And you should include God in your life. And we do that through prayer and through praise, right? So you're, you're in trouble, right? Last week, we, the sermon was on the endurance of faith. We talked about how, what people have had to endure to follow Jesus. And that enduring uh, in very difficult circumstances, uh, it speaks the truth about who God is, that he is a treasure worth giving up everything for. And so, um, right after that, those verses that talked about enduring when you're in trouble, comes this sentence. Are you in trouble? Are you? You should pray. You should talk to God about that. And then the opposite side. Are you having a great time? Is life really good? Are you happy? Then you should include God in that, and you should praise. It's just very simple. So you're in trouble? Then come to God and say, please. And if you're happy, come to God and say, thank you. Just include God in your life. Let me just give me one reason. I'll give you one big reason why, especially for if you're in trouble, you should pray. Uh, Philippians 4, 6-7. I wonder, if, is it possible to get that up on the... Let me read it to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition... That petition is asking God. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Can we do the next verse too? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you worry ever? Oh, it didn't get very many hands. How many of you were ever a baby? Okay, got a few more. It's the human condition. We have stress. We have anxiety. We have things that, we have pressures in our lives. The heat gets turned up real high sometimes. This is one reason why you should include God in your life is because when you have anxiety in your life and you pray, something happens. It's like you take those things that you're white-knuckling over and you bring them to God and you drop them at his feet and say, help I need help. This is troubling me. I found it so many times I'm worrying, 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 but I never get to pray. I'll cycle through worry endlessly and totally forget about that command. If you're anxious about anything, bring it to God in prayer. And that promise, can we get that last verse up, verse 7? And the peace of God, this is a promise that says, if you bring those anxious things to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, he said, you're going to have this peace that you don't even get it. It's going to guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus because your heart's going to be troubled, your mind's going to be troubled, but suddenly as you pray, you're going to start to experience the peace of God. That's a pretty great dynamic in your life. And so we need to be reminded of that. I know what, what we naturally do and what we've been trained to do throughout our lives is to fret and worry and to, and to try to come up with game plans and stay up late and, and, uh, and, and experience that pit in our stomach. And, and God says, just come to me. Just include me in your life. doesn't mean all those troubles will go away instantaneously, but it does mean that you have a place to go with them. And, and, and it's just not... It's amazing what God will do when you actually begin to bring your troubles to him. So here, I want to give you a statement to help you remember this, because I don't know if I'll come back to it later today, but I want you to remember this. Father, today, instead of worry, I'll pray. You want to say that with me? Father, today, instead of worry, I'll pray. One more time so that we remember it, okay? Father, Today, instead of worry, I'll pray. Okay, we might come back to it. I'm not sure if we will. It depends on how the rest of the sermon goes. But I want you to just invite God into your life. You want more peace and less anxiety? Invite God, include God. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, it's so many times that followers of Jesus don't practice this. We all worry, we should all pray. And so that's the first thing. Pray for yourself. If you're in trouble, pray. And if you're having a great time, if you're happy, then just praise God. Include God in both the, the, the negative and the challenging aspects of your life. The second dynamic about prayer we see in this that, so, so people prayed for themselves, but then it seems like people uh, asked other people to pray for them as well. Right? So there's this whole part in here, and I'm going to draw those two things, out of, two things out of it. Is anyone amongst you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. So I'm drawing, going to draw two things out of there. One is that you should let other Christians pray for you. And probably as a part of that is telling them a little bit of the story of why you need prayer. And the other thing is you should let leaders in the church pray for you. It says the elders there in this case, right? These are, these are two things, again, that maybe it's not your common practice, but I think you should really think about them. I'm starting to see the, the um, Christians praying for Christians dynamic uh, level rise in the church. I've seen it at different things. I've seen it at our set free retreats, our prayer summits. I've seen it at our Conquer series for men. That was amazing. Uh, 50 guys in the room, a video, Timbits, round tables, and everybody was just like going for it, sharing about their lives, t- talking really openly and honestly about areas in which they're struggling or they're, they're fighting the good fight, but it's, it's hard. They're, but guys just being really open and really honest about life. I just thought, what an amazing dynamic. I was really encouraged to see that. Every night I was out, I was just like, this is amazing uh, to see what God is doing here. And it's something as Canadians, we actually are a little bit, um, weak at because of, we grew up in an in individualized culture. Individualism tells us that you, yourself, against the world, that's enough, right? Sort of like Liam Neeson, right? <laughs> I know. All our heroes are solitary figures. Now, I love, Lee, I love the analogy that, that uh, um, 
Liam Neeson is, is pretty great, but Jesus is even better <laughs> when it comes to rescuing, right? I thought that was a great analogy, and I was amening everything that Sharon said this morning. But realize that we naturally go to that, that it's the guy by himself with nobody else who conquers and, and overcomes. And uh, we've come to idolize that in our culture, and so we, we don't do what this scripture tells us to do. It says, ask other people to pray for you. Confess your sins one to another. That means that you have a more open life, a more intimate life, a more communal life with, if, you, if you're a guy, with other guys. If you're a lady, with other ladies. You, you open up and you say, hey, um, I want you to walk with me in this. I want, I want to share this with you. I want to be able to uh, tell you where I'm struggling. I want you to pray over me. I, I got some stuff in my life that, that I need to win over and I'm not winning. And, and I think part of the healing that I need in my life is to tell you about it. So pray for yourself, ask other people to pray for you, and then ask elders to pray for you or leaders to pray for you. Um, that's, that was the practice in the church. That's the practice in our church. We have, uh, we have elders, and often people say, oh, I want the elders to pray for me, and, we, and those elders will anoint someone with oil. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the fact that the elders don't actually have the power to heal. Actually, none of us do. But that Jesus can heal, and we're totally dependent on him for his healing power in our lives. So ask leaders to, he to heal. And I want to talk a little bit about this one a, a little longer because this is the one that really grabbed me, really grabbed me. When I was um, in my first year of marriage and probably in the first three months of marriage, uh, Marnie one night turned to me and asked me to pray for her. And the reason she wanted me to pray for her is because she had nightmares on a regular basis. And her nightmares were always about snakes. She had snake dreams. And it's because she grew up in a town with a wooden sidewalk. I don't have to say anymore. If you don't like snakes, you don't want to hear anymore. Okay? And for her, it's a very real thing. I would do not, because you know this now, try to surprise her with a rubber snake. That would be cruel. Okay? Don't do that. I'm really serious. Um, this was a very troubling dynamic for her in her life and, and for her to be able to sleep. And there's lots of nights where she had these same nightmares. And so she asked me one night, would you pray for me that I wouldn't have any snake dreams tonight? And I was like, new husband, like so new, and this is my new wife, and we're just starting out in marriage together. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll pray. And so I prayed, and it was probably nothing profound. God, Marnie wants to sleep, and she has these dreams. Could you help her sleep and not have these dreams? You know, just nothing profound. And then the next morning I asked her, and I said, so... How was your sleep last night? And she said, great, I didn't have any nightmares. I didn't have any snake dreams. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I felt good about that. And then uh, later on, another night, she said, well, you pray for me tonight? You know, last night I had, a, I had a nightmare. So would you pray for me again? Sure. So I prayed again, nothing fancy. But then the next morning, how, how was your night? Good, I didn't have any nightmares. Oh, really? Well, I was on a roll. And you know what? The role never ended. Every time I prayed for Marnie about these dreams, they didn't happen. Every time I'd ask, she was fine. Now, she'd have those dreams other nights where I didn't pray for her, and I started to get really encouraged about this. Not that she was still having the dreams on other nights, but the fact that every time I prayed, something happened. And, you know, I, I didn't, like, have a whole background of, like, you know, 
being the holy man of God that everybody I touched or prayed for had all these miracle experiences. I was just having this, for me, very brand new experience as a brand new husband in this answer to prayer that was really neat. And I, I, I know it was good for Marnie because she got to sleep, but it was super good for me because it just sort of encouraged me that God hears my prayers. But it really got me thinking. It really got me thinking. How does God set this prayer thing up? How does he set these things up? Like when James says, hey, you want to be healed? Have the elders of the church pray for you. Why? I mean, you could, anyone can pray for you. That's true. Anyone can pray for you for healing. Anyone can do that. Why go to the elders? And I began to think, maybe there's something in how God sets up, wants to set up the structures of churches and families and communities and organizations. Maybe there's something in how he sets it up that he wants those who have been given responsibility in relationship with others to not just have responsibility in a physical way, but also responsibility in a spiritual way as well. Now, I don't think this is such a far-fetched, crazy idea, but I began to think about it more and more. I thought, why is God answering my prayer every single time when I pray about those dreams? Is it because he really wants husbands to do this? I mean, I've prayed for tons of things in my life that I didn't get, you know, I didn't get the yes answer to. And it's okay, God can say no too, right? He can say wait, he can say yes. But I prayed for lots of things that he didn't answer. And here he was, there was a consistent answer happening every time. And I thought, is it because he wants husbands to pray for their wives? Am I, am I walking in something new? So here's the thing. Could it be? And I'm really in the theoretical here, so just walk with me, see if it resonates with you. Could it be that if God gives you a responsibility, that he also gives you an authority that goes with that responsibility? If you've ever worked, have you ever worked in a workplace where they gave you responsibility but didn't give you the authority to actually do it? Maddening, absolutely maddening. Those times you don't go around saying, my boss is so good. You say other things. I won't say any of them. A good boss, a good leader, gives people responsibility and the resources and the authority to actually carry it out. So I actually thought, well, if God wants me to provide for my family, protect my wife, or, uh, you know, any of those things, Maybe he's not only given me the physical means to do that, but maybe he's also giving me the spiritual means to do that as well. So I began to wonder, does God want leadership to pray? Does God want leadership to pray? If God's given you a responsibility to play a role of leadership in someone's life, does he also give you an obligation? Does he give you a duty to pray for those who are under your leadership? 
Now, I don't know how you see husband and wife relationships. Think of it the opposite way. You know how it goes. On Father's Day, I'm talking to guys, women, think of it the other way. As a wife, has God given you a responsibility to pray for your husband? And will God give you, is God more likely to answer your prayers for your husband because God wants women to pray for their husbands? I want, you, I want to take you through just some different leadership examples. Some leadership examples of people who prayed. Now, the example we're giving in the text is Elijah. And we're really encouraged because they, the text says that he's just like us, which is good because that means that Elijah was sometimes brave and sometimes afraid, sometimes full of faith, other times full of doubt, sometimes grateful, sometimes grumbling. We see all this stuff in his story. He experienced incredible moments of confidence, but he also battled deep discouragement and depression. That's all in his story if you were to read it in 1 Kings. But it says something about him. It says that he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and again, that was earnestly, although it doesn't say it in the text. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Let's read about one, the second one, 1 Kings 18. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, okay, so already the land has been without rain for a few years. So he, says, go, he said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there's a sound of a heavy rain. Now, he's not, there's not literally a sound of heavy rain. In fact, there's not even a cloud in the sky. And there hasn't been rain for years. So this is a huge faith statement. There's a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab, who is the, the king, went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of the Mount, Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. So his servant runs off and he prays. And the servant comes back and says, There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So I don't know how long the run is to go see the sea on that part of the mountain. I don't know how far he has to hike around. If you're the servant, you're getting pretty tired every time you come back. Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. Somehow, I, I, how did he know to say to Ahab, there's going to be rain? We don't have everything in all the Bible stories, and so sometimes we have to fill in the gaps or guess. And so I would just be guessing. But I'm guessing that maybe just God told him it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Now, if God, gave you, if God told you something that you really wanted in your life or something you were really desperate to have happen, um, what would be your response? Let's say you've been praying for um, healing for somebody. Or you're praying for, you have um, someone in your family and they're far from God. And you're praying for them to, to know the love of God and experience his grace and mercy in their lives. Or you've got some life situation that seems an obstacle that cannot be moved. And you don't, it's, it's real crisis in your family. You don't know what's going to happen. And so you're praying somehow for things to change. Now let's say God said, hey, soon it's going to change. What would you do? Just crack open a drink, sit back on the lazy boy and go, that's awesome. I got a word from God that it's going to change. Elijah doubled down. He doubles down on his prayers. 
He prays and he sends. He says, we, uh, we, I don't see the cloud yet. The cloud's not there. I'm going to keep praying. Go again. And he prays, God, send the rain. Comes right. Second time. Hey, is there rain? No, there's no rain. I'm going to double down. It reminds me, so the story, that I've shared this with you before, but it's the story of a, a husband and wife and their, their son was far from God. He was in his adult years and he was a drug dealer and he was addicted to pornography and he was not living for God in any way, even though he'd grown up in the church. And they were at this church service and there's a time where people were asked to get on their knees and pray uh, for something specific. And while they were praying, the wife suddenly has this picture come into her mind. And it's the picture of her son and he's covered in leeches. And the leeches aren't just stuck to him. It's like they're stuck, but they're sort of hanging on because it's like there's some sort of force that's pulling their little tails, wiggling in the air, and, and it's like something's pulling them. And, and in that moment where she's having this picture come to her mind, she just gets this impression from God that those are your prayers. And it's close. And, you're, and the answer you wanted is almost arrived. So what did they do? Crack open a cold one? Sit on the lazy boy? No. They doubled down. They prayed harder. They fasted. I mean, that means going without food so they can pray. And a couple months later, then their son came back to God in just this wave of repentance and readiness for God to work in his heart. Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe that? That's what faith is. Do you believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him? Do you believe that about God? That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you believe that, prayer is going to be less of a hard, it's not going to be as hard for you. If you don't, see, it's what our beliefs about God that fuel our prayer. I, I, there's probably two simple things that help me to be more fueled in prayer. One is the, my belief that God is good. I believe God is good. Jesus said it again and again when he was talking about what the father was like. He kept saying, you know, imagine like a widow going and she's trying to get something from an unjust judge and he's terrible and all this stuff. But she's so persistent that eventually he says yes. And the, the, the outcome of that is God is so much better than an unjust judge. He's a just judge. He's a good judge. So if she gets, if her persistence pays off, you, you should be persistent with your prayers because there's someone good at the other end. And then Jesus used the other analogy. He says, he says uh, if, if fathers give their kids good gifts, if they wouldn't like give their kid a snake, again, don't do that to my wife, Okay? If they wouldn't give their kid a snake or a scorpion or something like that as a present, but they give them a good present, he says, how much for your heavenly father who's that much better? And so all the analogies Jesus keeps using to encourage us to pray, these are all to encourage us to persist and to earnestly pray. He says, they're all analogies about how good God is. 
they're all analogies about how caring God is, how loving God is, how God is attentive to your needs, how God knows where you're at. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He's recorded every tear that you've ever cried about this situation. So that's one thing that encourages me to persist in prayer is that God is good. God is good. And you know what? He can say yes to my prayer. He can say no to my prayer. I'm glad he said no to a lot of my prayers because some of the things I prayed for when I was younger and maybe even the stuff I'm praying today, I don't know, is really good he said no to because he, came, he had much better ideas and I'm glad for those. But he's good and he loves me. And that really fuels my prayer. The other thing that fuels my prayer is this thought about what is the least effective prayer. Do you want to know what the least effective prayer is? The absolute, I'm, I'm totally convinced that the least effective prayer you can ever pray, well, the least effective prayer is the one you don't pray. The Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. Think about that. Think about all the things that are just like unwrapped presence in our lives because we just didn't ask. We just didn't ask. Never thought to ask. Struggled, worried, full of anxiety, strife, got mad, punched the wall, went to the cast clinic, didn't pray. Didn't pray. Didn't ask. Didn't include God. So those are the two things. There's lots of other things that can really encourage you in prayer, but those two thoughts really help me. God is good, and if I don't ask, I don't have. So I'm not going to do the least effective form of prayer, which is no prayer. I'm going to take it up a notch. Now, there's other things that can hinder your prayer. The Bible talks about, you know, if you're not nice to your wife, that will hinder your prayers. I think it goes the other way. Wives, if you're not nice to your husbands, I think that will probably hinder your prayers, but it, it was written specifically to guys. So I can't avoid it or dodge it. And if there's sin in your life that you totally refuse to repent of, God's pinpointing it, saying this is the time to deal with it, and you say no, 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 that, that'll hinder your prayers too. And if you, if you, uh, you know, decide that you know, you're really only coming to God, if your motivation of your heart to come to God to ask, to ask for things is just simply to get stuff from him so that you can, the Bible says, spend it on your own pleasures or basically make your life comfortable for yourself, or get from God what you really want because you don't really want God. Bad motivation. That'll hinder your prayers too. But you know what? All those are not nearly the hindrance of not asking. Not asking is the number one guaranteed there's no answer. You don't have because you don't ask, because you don't include God into the struggles and the challenges of life. So he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards him. It's saying you get zero answers to pray you, to the prayers you don't pray. It's sort of like Michael Jordan. You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So pray. Pray. Let me show you, let me just lead you through some of these leaders that I think are, are examples to us. Moses, Moses, he prayed for victory for a nation. I got my Moses staff here. Let me, let me borrow my staff here. It's sort of a weenie one. It's not very heavy. I don't think you could any, hurt anyone with this. It's more like a pool cue than anything. All right. 
The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Actually, in Deuteronomy, this is Exodus 17, but in Deuteronomy, it tells how they attacked from behind, killing the stragglers. Cowards. Total cowardly bullies, whatever you want to say about them, awful what they did. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. <laughs> Earnestly pray. <laughs> Moses was given responsibility for a nation. And so he prayed. He didn't just make good decisions. He didn't just make good policies. He didn't just make sure he led them the right through, way through the desert and, and, and all those things. He also prayed for them. I don't know if anyone in the room is responsible for a nation. Undoubtedly, probably not. But you might be responsible for a business. You might be responsible for uh, a leadership team. You might be responsible for a family or different things. You know, you, know like, you like to give out things on Father's Day. It would be really great if we could give out great staffs. Just every father goes home with a staff, you know? And maybe like a bathrobe and then a clip-on beard. <laughs> and we could stand on top of our houses on the roofs and pray <laughs> until the police come. Because <laughs> our neighbors care about us, obviously. But Moses holding up the rod of God over the Israelites, it might be a little bit like us holding up our prayers over our families, over our church, over our businesses, over our, the teams that we lead, over the people that God has given us responsibility for. And sometimes we do get tired to bring the needs of the people we're responsible for to God. I think we all do. That's probably why asking people to pray with us really helps. If you come to someone and say, man, I know God's given me a role, a spiritual role to pray for my family, but just to tell you, man to man, I'm... I'm not doing well in that role, and would you pray for me? That would be huge to share that with another guy. Or if you're a woman, share that with another woman to hold up the rod of God over, over the people. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12, 23, he says, now, he's just been rejected. Well, God has been rejected. It's really not, it's not, it's not you, Samuel, it's me. Basically, that's what God tells Samuel. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> Sounds like breaking up. But Israel is breaking up with God in many ways. They said, we want a king. We don't want some prophet to tell us the dictates of God. We don't want this theocracy where God is our leader. We want uh, a monarchy like all the other kingdoms around us. We want what everyone else has. It seems cooler. It seems better. And uh, basically, Samuel rebukes them. He tells them, God's going to give you what you want it's going to have a devastating price. You're going to wish you didn't have a king in a little while. 
your sons are going to be conscripted for war and all sorts of things. He tells all that, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's going to cost you lots financially, relationally, and also with lives. But God's going to give it to you. And then at the end of all that, the people are like, oh, no, what have we done? You know, and they're repenting. And, Sam, and Samuel's leaving off the scene. And Samuel's always been sort of their babysitter all this time. And Samuel says to them at the end, to, to console them and to reassure them, he says, for Samuel 12, 23, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Even though you're not, I'm not going to be leading the nation, or God's not going to be leading the nation through me anymore, I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep praying for you. I think there's lots of times in our lives, maybe seasons where we, we maybe want to drop off in our prayers, maybe for our kids. You know, they're, they leave home and they're, you know, they're out of sight, out of mind maybe for some. But we, we should keep praying. Or maybe, uh, you know, there's people that you're responsible for, but, you know, it doesn't seem like they're really want your leadership in their lives and that's okay and all that. There's lots of ways in which we might just sort of say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Samuel could have done that. He could have just said like, wow, thanks for the rejection, guys. Sorry, I, you know, I must not have done a good job serving you all these years, but now I'm just going to crack open a cold one and sit on the lazy boy. No, he says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I will teach you the way that is good and right. Samuel considered it a sin that if he didn't pray for the people of Israel, the responsibility he had been given. Look at the story of Job. Job had uh, seven sons and three daughters. In Job 1, 4 to 5, it says, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, so I, I'm assuming dad was not invited. <laughs> So the kids are having parties at their houses and dad is not invited. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Remember the story of Job when Job's life just totally falls apart, when uh, he loses everything? His wife even tells him, you should just curse God and die. But remember, Job, all through his caring for his kids and leading his kids and watching over his kids, his one thing was, I don't want them in some rash moment to curse God. <laughs> he's preparing them for life, but he's also preparing himself for his future test. And when that test comes... He doesn't curse God. He blesses God. He receives from God uh, what it, the circumstances of his life, and he praises God. But just think about how he cared for his kids. Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so Job's regular custom was to, say, was to always be checking in to make sure his kids were right with God. Never gave up that spiritual responsibility. How about Paul, the Apostle Paul? He talked about in, uh, how he had concern for all the churches. And uh, in, in uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, besides everything else, he's listed all the pressures he has in life, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
And you see in, you read his writings, you see him praying again and again for the churches, praying for them, praying for them. An example would be uh, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. This is one of his prayers. For this reason, since the day I heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through, the, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Just an example of the prayers that he prayed. In 1 Timothy 2.8, he says what he, what he desires. He says, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So I don't know whether that's with a rod or without a rod. Um, we have a, C, a DV, uh, CD player at home, and it's so old that the CD is stuck in it and will never come out. But you can still play it. And it's got Eye of the Tiger on it. So it's still useful. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger is useful for any situation. You're like, man, I don't want to do the dishes. Put on Eye of the Tiger. Suddenly you can do the dishes. And it seems epic when you do. <laughs> it's like, you know, look at your schedule. You're like, oh, Fight Club tonight. Put on the CD. You know, you just, it's just e excellent. It's amazing. It's just pump you up music. And I think about Rocky, right? You know that... Okay, so I'm losing half the audience who hasn't seen Rocky, but the rest of you who are older, you've seen Rocky Balboa, the first movie where Rocky is running through the streets of Philadelphia, and then he runs up the stairs up to, up to that, that great place, and he's, and there's that music, getting stronger, getting stronger, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, yo, Adrian, you know, bring on Apollo Creed, you know, whatever. He's, it's all exciting. Anyhow, you've got to watch the movie. I guess you've got to watch Taken, too, right? Liam Neeson and Rocky. Okay. Individuals who saved the day, okay. But Paul said, I want men. This is going to apply to women too, but I want everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. I don't know how you pray. I don't know how you pray. Some people pray, sit on a chair, hands in the lap. Somebody do the rocky pose. Some of you are going to put a staff in your hand and climb your roof. I don't know. But Pray. But pray. I often think of the Moses story and often think, I can't be too tired. I can't be too tired to pray. Even if my prayers are weak and don't have a ton of faith in them, I got to at least begin. I got to at least say, God, would you, would you work in the lives of my family? Would you, would, would you touch the team that I lead? Would you, would you, would you work in our church. I often find that my beginning of my prayers is weak, but I get stronger, just like the Survivor song, getting stronger. I find that I have the Rocky Balboa experience as I begin to pray, as I lift up holy hands in prayer. I begin to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I came today with nothing to, I didn't have anything in me. I barely have any faith. I, I'm dry spiritually, but as I begin to pray, God begins to, Increase that faith as I begin to speak back to him the truth about who he is and what he can do. So what if there's a special power in praying for the areas that God gives you to be responsible for? What if God didn't get, just give you the responsibility but also the ability to carry it out through prayer? 
I really have only two things to say to you today, and the one is you should pray. And the other one is, obviously in the passage as well, God can heal. And you should pray because God can heal. Uh, when I look at that part about, you know, come to the elders of the church, have them anoint you with oil, and, and just that whole thing. I don't know where you're at with God can heal, that whole concept. I don't know where you're at with that. I'll just tell you quickly where I'm at. Um, somewhere way over here is that God doesn't heal anymore. And somewhere way over here is, here is that God heals people every single time. And I'm somewhere in the messy middle. I'll admit that. I'm somewhere in the messy middle. Um, when I prayed for Marnie for her snake dreams, that moved me and encouraged me in my faith. And then I've had experiences along the way where I've seen people get healed or I've, I've heard their stories and they're people I know. This isn't second, third hand. is isn't somebody told me about an, an amazing story. It's that I know the people, right? Probably one of the most encouraging faith stories for me was my friends, uh, and I've shared their story before, but Keith and Nancy Powers really encouraged me. I remember the Sunday we had, had a special speaker in. It was actually Rick Parkin from the Regina App Church. He came to our church in Nippon where I was serving there and uh, he said, you know, I want to pray for people who have headaches. And I remember... Uh, Keith coming up, and I remember snickering under my hand because I was like, this looks bad. Special speaker in to pray for people for healing, and the pastor responds, because he's the pastor. Keith was pastor. I was the youth pastor. And so he went up, and I thought, boy, this looks, you know, you know, skeptical people would really have a heyday with this. But I knew the truth about Keith. He had terrible headaches, really bad migraine headaches. He bought, okay, are these a thing? Tylenol 3 with codeine, is that a thing? Okay. Sorry, I don't have migraines, so I, but he bought them in these big containers you could only get at Costco or something, like huge mega bulk containers. And I'd be in meetings with him, and every day, it was like a, a deal, every day he'd have these migraines. I'd be in meetings with him, and, and we, he lived right beside the church, and sometimes he'd say, okay, I have to sort of excuse myself, I'm just going to run over to the house and get some Tylenol, and I'll be back. And he'd go over and take some Tylenol, and this was constant. He was living with this. This was just how he was living every day. So when he went up to, the, to get prayed for, I was sort of like thinking, what do people think about that? The pastor's going up. But then I thought, but you know, if anyone needs healing from headaches, it's, it's, uh, it's him. And he was healed. He was healed. And so I worked with him every single day. There's no hiding that he was healed. He, now he had no use for the big T3s with codeine. He just had it in his, his cupboard because he had already bought so many. And uh, he didn't have migraines anymore. They just went away. They were gone. So he was healed. And then years later, his wife, um, oh, now I'm blanking out on what she had. Fibromyalgia. Thank you. Fibromyalgia. And I'd never heard of anyone being healed of fibromyalgia. And uh, she happened to be here in Moose Jaw at the time. And uh, she'd been prayed for many times. She'd she was the school counselor in her community but wasn't able to serve after a while because she didn't have the energy and fibromyalgia had basically uh, stripped all that away. And then her daughter, in a moment of just faith, just said, Mom, I want to pray for you. And she, she uh, just brought her right up the aisle and it was just daughter praying for mom. And as she prayed for her, uh, didn't feel anything necessarily that night, but then the next morning, things were different. But she didn't tell anyone because... What if she's wrong, right? Or what if it's just one day? And then a week, didn't tell anyone. It was a couple weeks. And then after a while, she started to whisper to her husband, Keith, I think something might have happened because things have changed. And months led into years, and finally she was like, I got to get a job. I got so much energy. And suddenly people in the community are saying, 
aren't you the Nancy who had fibromyalgia? And she's like, well, yeah, I'm the Nancy who had fibromyalgia. And God had changed the game. And I'm telling you these stories because this is part of my journey. Marnie's snake dreams, Keith's headaches, Nancy's fibromyalgia. In this church, there's a story, well, not a story, there's, there's Brian Tisdale from the 1990s. How many of you were in the church in the 1990s? Probably not too many, okay? How many remember Brian Tisdale and what that did? It was a huge shot in the arm for the church. He had flesh-eating disease, and it looked like he wouldn't be with us. And then he was healed. Massive shot in the arm for the church. Huge. Uh, he's going to speak at Kettleson Camp this summer, second family camp. He's going to be the morning speaker. But God took him from, uh, we're not going to have Brian with us anymore, to, uh, to full health. And so, another little inch along the way that God heals. God does heal. Today, I want to show you a video. I want to show you a video. This is probably, to me, one of the most encouraging. This is not someone I know personally, but I just, I, it's one of the more encouraging healing stories I know of, and I thought I'd share it with you. Because I want you to, listen, if you're way back here, you're saying, I'm not even sure if God heals today. I'm not sure if he can. I don't know why I would ever phone the elders of the church to pray for me or have anyone pray for me, because I just, I'm struggling to believe. I really, really doubt that I'm just trying to put jumper cables on your faith, if I can, and some sort of spark get in there so that you could believe to ask for prayer, or you could pray for yourself, or you could ask the elders to pray for you. I, w- I want you to make some progress, like I've been making little bits of progress all the way along. My doubting heart has been bit by bit beginning to believe more. So let me just quickly read the backstory. It says, in 1990, this is the story of Dwayne Miller. Some of you might know his story. 1990, I was serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Brenham, Texas. First Baptist was a great church, but I con- in that time, I, I'm just skimming, I contracted a flu virus that ultimately penetrated the nylon sheath, the nylon, 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 I don't know how to say it, sheath of my vocal folds and damaged the nerve tissue beyond repair. Over the next three years, I was seen by 63 specialists and their teams totaling over 200 doctors as they tried to diagnose and treat me. I had been left with a voice that sounded like the worst case of laryngitis you've ever heard and could only make that if I screamed at the top of my lungs. My daughters were both students at Baylor and I could not even call their dorm because I sounded like an obscene phone caller. Though the congregation had been incredibly incredibly patient with my disability, I had resigned for obvious reasons in 1991. Everything I had ever done to earn a living had been connected to my ability to speak, and suddenly my toolkit was gone. We moved back to Houston with my wife. We moved back to Houston, and my wife became the primary breadwinner in our family. A dear friend gave me a job as a private investigator working in an area where my voice was unimportant, but I ached to do the ministry to which... I had been originally called. And the church we went to in Houston had a Sunday school class that, it, that had first met in the basement of the church. And it was a wonderful group of folks that I'd been privileged to teach before I went to Brenham and with whom contact was never lost. When they learned that we were moving back to Houston, they came to Brenham with bodies and trucks and moved us. It was, it was back to this church that we, were move, we moved back 
Their support and fellowship was more valuable than words can express. In April 1992, the teacher of the adult Sunday school class had to take some time away from personal reasons. Our directors, a husband and wife, asked if I would fill in while a permanent replacement was sought. I protested that it was too hard to understand. I was too hard to understand, which was met with, we'll really listen carefully. I've come to understand that they asked not because I was such a profound teacher, but because they loved me and knew how desperately I needed to teach. The female half of our director team was persistent about me becoming the permanent teacher, even when the educational staff of the church expressed their reservations because of my voice. She told them that she was certain that God wanted me to teach that class, as she, she was as certain as she could be, and, they all, and so they ultimately let him teach. Little did they know what God was preparing as I mentioned before, I was in a horrible pit as I took the platform that morning. Two days previous, I'd sat for hours in my living room with a shotgun in my mouth, and I had come to, end my, I had come to the end of myself. Blessing the Lord was difficult for me. In truth, the only reason I was there was because I could not find a substitute and I could not simply not show up. So my teaching that morning was perfunctory, nothing more. As I began the outline, I discussed the word all. It literally means every single one without exception. Christ's forgiveness of all my sin is what makes the good news great. I had no problem with that discussion, but when I began to talk about healing, my words were, I still believe God's, God heals while my thoughts were, but why not me? I moved through that discussion as honestly as I could and began my third thought, he redeems my life from the pit. We're going to listen to him. This is an audio recording of that Sunday school class that morning. So you're going to hear his laryngitis voice as he tries to teach about the healing of God when he hasn't been healed. So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended. That is not over. Now, you have to be careful on how you do this because there are folks who carry things to an excess and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in his sovereign will. I don't know why God does things that he does, but I know that he does. And the only thing he requires of me is to allow him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true, won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry, that's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have 
had and you have had in times past pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. <laughs> I'm uh, Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I He redeems my life from the pit. me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in love. The Lord will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, that's mercy. Or repay us according to our iniquities, that's mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God heals. He still heals today. I want to end our service. I want to invite you to stand. I want you to stand. This morning, I want you to think about the three ways that the church prayed. One, they included God. They, they invited God into their anxiety, their troubles, and into their joys. And maybe you just say, I just need to begin that. I, 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 needed a, I need the jumper cables on that part of my life to begin to pray again. Or, or to, to begin to pray like I know God wants me to. Or maybe it's the other. You say, I, I, need, to, I need to invite someone else into my struggle. I need, to, I need to talk with them. I need to ask someone else to pray for me. Or I need to recognize that there are people in my life that maybe God's given them an authority to pray over my life. Maybe it's the, the church elders. Maybe it's, it's other ones where you can recognize that in your life. And you say, I'm, I'm going to ask them. 
uh, to pray in my life. Maybe you need healing this morning. Maybe you need physical healing this morning. We would love to pray with you this morning to, for healing, for physical healing, anoint you with oil. And put our faith fully in Jesus' power to change. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to end this. Uh, worship band, if you want to come back and just play something instrumental, we'll just, we'll just have some time where people can make this a holy place, a focused place. But if, you, if that's you, if you say, man, you just hit the nail on one of those three. I, need to, I, need to, I needed a jump start for my prayer life. I need to jump, uh, jump start in that area, whatever area it is. Now, I'm going to invite you to come and respond. I'm going to invite you to come to the front and you just say, that's all you're saying. I need a jump start. In the area of prayer in my life, I identified a lot of them. Come and pray. I'm going to get some, uh, we've got some elders. Can, if you're on the elders, there's a few elders here this morning, a bunch of them are away. But if you're, you come here, if you want prayer for healing, just come into the middle where Pastor Laura and, and the elders will be gathered. Okay? Come for prayer for healing. If you want to pray about something else, just do business with God. Say, God, I need to begin again in, in, with prayer in my life then come and respond in that way. But we're, I'm not going to prolong this. Just come now if that's you. Um, and then we're going to pray. 